What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Brian Surface, out of Colorado with a couple different companies, uh, vertically integrated operation with High West Cannabis, the dispensary, Outlaw Cannabis, the flower brand, and George Hashington, the, the critically acclaimed rosin brand. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Great to be here, Mitch. Super pumped to be on your show. Hell yeah. Well, I start every episode off with, uh, you know, the same question for all my guests around their 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 personal origin story around cannabis, whether that's personal, professional, a little bit of both, whatever you choose to be vulnerable sharing. So I'm just curious, Brian, kind of when when did you and cannabis, uh, you know, start your relationship? Well, well, I mean, I, cannabis and I started the relationship as far as me as a consumer probably into my high school days, early college, which I know is probably later than some. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm fairly old, you know, not for this space, I'm 44 years old. But um, as far as working in the business, it was um, early 2016. Actually, I take that back more like mid 2015. I moved to Colorado. I owned a software company. So I, 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 I don't want to be judged on this, but I came kind of from the corporate space, um, worked at Deloitte Consulting, um, some big software companies, gradually got smaller and started my own software company, sold it in the summer of 2015, was living in Colorado, the Boulder area. And this whole new industry was being created right before my eyes in a, in a, in a product that I consumed, that I've consumed for a long time, I, I guess 20 for 25 years and I had to be a part of it. Um, and, and that transition was pretty interesting for someone, <clears throat> I, I guess with my background and coming from the Midwest, uh, Missouri is where I was born, Kansas. I went to school at KU and uh, lived in, in the, the Kansas city area for a while. Um, and so in, and in the Midwest, a lot of people smoked weed, sure, but it didn't have the kind of culture that it has in Colorado. I mean, the, the Kansas is a lot different than Colorado. Moving out here uh, in, in the summer of 2014, after about six months of legalization and just seeing the culture around cannabis and a lot centers around music, the, the shows that Colorado gets, the music, mm -hmm. the, the, the people that come and play in Colorado, I think breeds a strong, you know, not just cannabis culture, but I would say also psychedelics and some other things that are that are starting to gain acceptance and get hot. But when I sold the software company in 2015, I had to be a part of the space. And I it, it's I this is where I'll be a little careful on, on what I can share. But I, I did get into the space off of my kind of my corporate world in in a in a fairly typical cannabis fashion, um, starting with wanting to cultivate and grow and finding people who knew what they were doing in that space. And a lot of those people weren't doing it quite licensed yet in 2014, 2015, and kind of cut my teeth on, on some interesting projects um, that, that then kind of turned into using some of my own money and raising money to buy a cultivation and a store that we got off the ground in late 2016 with High West, and the formation of Outlaw, though we didn't brand Outlaw for a long time as our assets, we had to spend and reinvest. You know, we've reinvested millions of dollars into our grow and our store to bring them up to par in the brand and the experience that we want to provide consumers. 
Yeah, and and with, and with that, starting with the retail, well, obviously, like Colorado, you know, from my understanding, you know, I've been there a little bit, but I'm not from there. Uh, you know, is a, a, a more vertically integrated market, right? Like it's a lot more common. Um, when you guys first started with the cultivation in the store, was it really just about building up the supply for your own retail outlet or was it what did you have the foresight of being like okay we're going to build it for the retail and then tackle wholesaler or, or kind of what did, what did that think thought process look like no i think that mitch that's a great question i mean you're taught in business school you know that focus is everything and and to think that you're going to jump into this new space and, and go down and be a retailer and be a cultivator and a manufacturer and a farm an indoor farmer I think in many industries, you know, they would they would use the school of thought and, and the training that they teach you in school that that's not the right strategy. You're right that in Colorado, that was really part of the norm in a, in a way that people could survive and, and make money in such a competitive space. I, the, the passion really started with the desire to cultivate, to, to create what what we wanted to be world class raw material and the store not that it wasn't uh, a secondary thought i mean the store ended up being the mechanism that really helped us cash flow in the early years of getting the cultivation up and running of, of hiring different team members early on and, and we've our, our head grower who's a who's a big part of our executive team seth has been with us over four years now but before we had seth <clears throat> the first couple of years of of using and testing different growers and all the growers that I've ever hired that have been tasked with orchestrating and kind of being in, in charge of our cultivation have been legacy market growers. Um, and we found a team of really passionate legacy market growers that had the desire to take their skills, you know, recreationally that we landed on in, in late, uh, I guess it was maybe early 2018 and, and really getting the team right in the grow really was the, the precipice of our business taking off. I mean, the store needed time to develop customers, but it also needed time for us to get great products in there and get to be known for our flower. Um, and, and the store is a huge part of our strategy and it's a lot of the, the way that we make um, a good part of, of our revenue now, but it's always, the, the grow is what we've sunk a lot of money into and reinvestment into. Um, and, the, and we care a lot about the products that we create, absolutely. Hope that answers your question. Absolutely. And that's, you know, obviously cultivation, right? Like the plant is what it all starts with, right? Whether you're selling at retail or manufacturing into rosin, edibles, whatever, the plant is is the backbone of why we're all here. And and Absolutely. I, you know, I, I I heard from our previous conversations and even today, you were like, you know, you know, don't judge me. I come a little bit more from the corporate world, but yeah. I think you also, you know, also I think, you know, much respect to yourself. Obviously, you've been in this space, you know, long enough. You're not a, a new person that just hopped in, right? But I right. think in in talking to you and learning a little bit about your team, you definitely prioritize, you know, legacy, right? Like some people. There's this conversation of the battle between legacy and suits that sometimes gets overly talked about in the echo chamber that the industry, right. but I just feel like you kind mm -hmm. of organically seek to work with that, that crowd. I'm just kind of curious, what's your perspective and the importance on, 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 you know, honoring, highlighting and working with people that come from the legacy side of cannabis. I, in Colorado, I think it's almost everything I, in Colorado and I'm, and I'm being specific about Colorado because I, I don't know if every state you you would say the same thing about, but Colorado respects 
the people that talk about marijuana, that judge it, the consumers that care about it the most here, I think care about how the company that's creating that product that they're talking about came to be <clears throat> and, and specifically who's heading the ship, who's who's creating the flower. And I think that's that's what gets their buy-in. The consumers that we're trying to reach and that we care about that talk about, you know, Snacksland and Green Dot and 710 Labs and LaserCat and all of these great brands out there. Um, we, we want them talking about Outlaw Cannabis, George Hashington in the same breath. And I think those people care about the people that founded those companies and that are growing and, and what those companies care about. And so, and, and, it, and so it's not just about our consumers and what they care about in our target market. That is a big part of it. But it's also about the, the, the ability to gr create great products. And I think that there's a lot of talent. There, there's a lot of talent that you can find, even though it's an interesting way to find it, giving, you know, given how this industry and given what marijuana was for a long time. But there's a lot of talent out there that care a lot about the plant and, and that you can provide opportunities and even ownership and partnership opportunities in the rec market to bring that skill to the rec market. Absolutely. It's a big part yeah. of the strategy. It's something I care about a lot. Yeah. I mean, obviously it, it, it's, it's beneficial for, for the business, but it's also like a, you know, a great thing to do as we transition in from what, what was to what is and, and, and continue to transition into what will it be, you know? Um, it's the true social equity. If you want to know, like you hear them, they talk about social equity a lot. What is social equity? I mean, the states want to put together these programs to benefit people who have maybe been hurt by the war on marijuana. And, and that, that, that person, you know, can, uh, in some states can be anyone, but really, you know, and, and that I think, I think that's great that states try to do that. Although, I mean, who, who are we trying to help here? We're trying to help people who may have been hurt, but what about, what about people that have given their lives for years that have cared about this plant that saw a long time ago that this was something that can help people that states were overly aggressive on regulating for a lot of reasons that don't deal with necessarily harm to the consumer. How do you, how do we integrate those people and provide them, you know, true opportunity, like, like real ownership, not, not just I'm working for a cannabis company, mm -hmm. but I'm a part owner in this brand, you know, that I, that I, that really is shaping my life, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, it's it's impactful. And I think that's the thing is putting people in those positions. Ownership is 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 huge, right? It's a lot, a lot more than what a lot of folks are doing in this space. Um, you know, be, being vertically integrated, there's obviously some benefits to that, right? Like you can control your supply chain a little bit more. You have your own retail outlet. So you obviously can maximize, you know, own the whole margin when you sell it through there. But there also are some challenges and, and you have taken a unique approach, which I which I enjoy and, you know, would be the take if I were in your shoes would and segment each of these different, you know, each of these different operations into their own brand so they can live on an established brand in their own regard. Um, what are some of the, the the challenges in, you know, going from like, hey, I'm starting a business to quickly being like, OK, now I have three completely separate business models and brands that I need to maintain? You know, and that's a great, that's another great question. I appreciate the opportunity to kind of share the story. I mean, really, I don't know if I would have done it off the bat. I think it took me five years of kind of fighting in, in the trenches, digging in the trenches, um, getting a taste for how the industry operates, the people in it, 
who, who to align yourself with, who to be careful of. Um, they say the biggest decision a business owner can make, especially if they're in multi-unit retail, is going from one location to two. And there have been plenty of opportunities where we've considered buying another store, doing a few other things. I, I think a lot of times it didn't work out. And as I look back, I'm pretty happy because I don't know if we were quite ready. And, and you know, the, as you know, the industry has like pretty volatile swings. And so it's hard in the good times. You want to make moves. Those good times can quickly change into harder times, you know, depending on, you know, given the, the microeconomics and the macroeconomics of this industry. And so I think you have to really be ready if you're going to expand and buy other licenses. I mean, you know, buying other licenses and building other brands, it's a whole host of things. It's, it's, it's negotiating a contract and an asset purchase agreement to buy that license. Usually if you're not going to buy the, the land, you're negotiating a lease. You know, you're putting together an operating agreement amongst, you know, sometimes different investors. Um, and and it's a, all of it takes time and it's it, it can it has its own risk. And so and, and then, you know, once you go through all those hoops, you know, then comes the fun part of really launching. And in Colorado, no matter who you are, even if you've had success in the past, I think launching into this space in a new brand has its own challenges, whether people will accept it or not. Um, it helps if you've done something big before. Um, and if people know you, the, the folks from 710 and Green Dot, they get a lot of love. They've done a great job. I know them them well. They they can spin up and, and do different things given their success. But someone like myself who is still building our notoriety and our brand, you know, it's a big, it's a big risk, a big financial risk, you know, a big business risk to to scale. Um, and I would say um, I, I only think I have a, a chance of succeeding, you know, given the, the five and six years of experience and the team that we've built um, in that time. Yeah, I mean, Colorado, I, I, I always give people, you know, a hard time from that state because you guys beat it. You know, I live I'm from Washington. You guys beat us by 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 mere <laughs> months to having recreational cannabis for sale. So you guys get to claim you were the first state and we're always like our claim to fame is we were right behind Colorado, you know, um, but in being that and also living in a state like that, you know, at this point now, you know, from 2015, 2016 to now, right? Like we're, we're in a completely new market. It is super mature. It is hyper competitive, right? We've already seen a couple over supplies to potentially, you know, the pendulum swinging from a buyer's to a seller's market on the wholesale market. Some of these other new states are like, haven't even, haven't even seen the pendulum swing yet. And we've seen yeah. it swing a couple different times. What's kind of the current state of the market and how does being vertically integrated kind of better prepare you to deal with some of those swings, you know, either way? I mean, the current state of the market in Colorado, it's pretty tough. I mean, there's a lot of people that are really struggling, a lot of owners, a lot of brands that are going out of business, a lot of brands that are reorganizing, you know, brands that used to have purchasing managers who have owners now doing that work, calling and buying and delivering, you know, owners really stepping up their participation in their companies, given the changes that they've had to make. Um, there's, it, I mean, it's still a thriving market. It's still going to be, a, you know, probably close to a $2 billion market. So there's still a ton of opportunity. Um, but I, I mean, vertical integration, I think in the market, 
that has the swings that Colorado and the competition that Colorado does allows you to sometimes play, you know, the, the different assets off each other, the assets that can help you survive. I mean, right now, retail is down. There's been a ton of price compression in, in the retail business, but that's a lot because wholesale prices, you know, have fallen off a cliff, you know, for raw material. And so a lot of the folks, you know, that have both the grow and the retail, I mean, some of, some of those folks have shut their grows down. Products so cheap, they can buy wholesale and they've kept their retail going to make money and to make ends meet. But there's a lot of cultivation coming off the market. A lot of the largest outdoor growers because of the market and its current state didn't plant this year. I don't think Los Sueños planted this year. Um, and, and so we could see an interesting Croptober, but that's, I mean, you want to talk about just the weird economics of cannabis and why there are such drastic swings. The, the state by state regulation is a big part of that. But even in a state like Colorado, that's that's mature, that has a ton of competitors and that's down right now. There are microeconomic events within the state that can really change that trajectory. People not planting, cultivation shutting down within things like the ballot initiative in Colorado State where they're going to, you know, there's a big part of the state, Colorado, I, I think Colorado Springs, I'm sorry, down in the Springs, they never legalized recreational marijuana. There are over a hundred medical stores mm -hmm. um, and there's a ballot initiative in November for the Springs to allow recreational usage. And the way they've structured it is such that these medical stores can go rec almost immediately. And so you have a hundred new rec stores to hit the market and even and even though you might not be serving more customers it might be the same volume with regards to customers and consumers 100 new stores that need rec products on their shelf will change the wholesale market mm. um and which could change the marketing cannabis pretty significantly so um it, it's it's an it's super interesting I, I would say being vertically integrated though has definitely helped us survive in some of these swings for sure yeah, that, that cause and effect, right? Like I've I've seen it in a couple markets where like everyone's commanding top dollar for their flour, whether it's going to bra or straight into jar, you know, on the shelf. Yeah. And so then everyone has the unique idea of let's expand our cultivation footprint. And then you'll see the next year, everybody expanded canopy and then it's an oversupply, right? And then it only yep. really takes one or two large operators who's like, I'm just trying to liquidate for whatever I can to flood the market, you know, with raw materials that are below a sustainable, you know, price point for anyone that's not trying to liquidate to sell. And that forces everyone, you know, and it's, and then you see people tighten up and then you go into the next year and everyone's kind of puckered up going into that year. So they go a little more conservative and demand rises up again. And, and we kind of see the, these swings. And so how much for you guys have you seen, um, you know, kind of, over these six, seven years at this point, uh, you know, cultivation, people really expand canopy and then see the adverse effects of that within a, a year or two. Is that something you guys are seeing as well? I, I feel like they're 18 to 24 month swings. And, you know, you had in 2014 and, and leading up to January 1st, 2014, when the recreational market launched in Colorado, people were moving as fast as they can the people that were in the know that had access to get the licenses to get set up and running and there was boom times probably 
until 2017. And then in 2017, late 16, the market tanked pretty hard for a couple of years where pounds got down into the seven, eight, nine hundred dollar range. Um, up until about late 2018, the early part of 2019, where a boom market started again and was accelerated really by COVID, call it 2019 until about May 2021. And I, I when I look at the data from our store and our operation, I really talk about May 2021 marking the start of what I think has been a consistent downturn in sales just generally for the state. And I don't know, my anticipation is it might last, you know, I, I guess you go back to May and it's August. What is that? 15, 16 months. We might have another six to eight months of this cycle, but there are signs um, that I feel like the market's going to come back and not just the ballot initiative and not just the, the shutting down of grows, um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, but also I think some of the inflation and some of the pressures on consumers, um, can, are going to ease at some point. Um, and I do think the market will come back. I think raw material will sell for a higher price point. I think people will continue to buy. And I think brands in our market will continue to grow the, the, the ones that are strong and, and, and using this time as an opportunity, you know, we've used it as an opportunity to, even though it's been hard, but if you can get the resources, you know, there are a lot of great deals on the market right now for people that are getting out of the business. Um, and so you try and use these down markets, you know, the challenge, but you try and use them also, if you believe in the space as a time to grow as well. Did I answer your question, Mitch, on that? Abs no, absolutely. 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 And I, I did a lot. I, I've worked a fair amount in the real estate sector. I'm not a real estate guy, but what you said right there is is very true to even in real estate. And the down market is when, you know, that's when when wealth is created or business is pushed forward, if you're positioned properly, right? Like not right. everyone is. Um. And so back, you know, back on the, on the topic of just vertical integration, right? Like having brands and then also having your own store running the, the retail gives you obviously access to data, you know, whether it's through your POS yeah. system, but it also gives you personal interaction with consumers every, every day. Um, how do you take that and use that, you know, whether it's gut instinct, you know, one-to-one -one data collection or looking at the broader data and POS systems, how do you use that to empower kind of the decisions in outlaw and George Hashington? Oh man, gosh. That's a great question. I mean, we use uh, uh, the consumer feedback and what we hear in the store. I mean, I, I think it infiltrates almost every decision we make. It, 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 this and the, and the store is a lot. I mean, it's 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 being a predictor of the market swings. Having that data allows us to be the predictor. It, it, having the data and providing our store data to folks like you know BDS Analytics and, and Headset. Like allows us to get really good data, you know, on a, on a broader term from the state. Um, but I, I mean, genetics, mm. what what's hot, you, you know, and, and a lot of times when you're talking about how we look at the space, the folks that we talk to, the things that I, that guide some of my decision making on top of our consumers, I mean, we're really educated. A lot of our job is to lead our consumers, to show our consumers something new to to be on to be in the game in a way that allows us to be a trendsetter 
or at least know the trends to be to be close to being that trendsetter or right on, right on right on point. And so there's a lot of things that I I try to lead and then see how our consumers react and then see how it gets spoken about on Reddit, on Instagram through our followings there that that then we adapt and make changes in our operation, you know, based on what those folks are saying and and getting that feedback and working on on that marketing effort to really, you know, systematize and 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 put into place a way to make systematic decisions based on data is something that I think every cannabis business, you know, somewhat struggles with, given all the disparate, you know, information and ways to market that's really unique to cannabis. But it is the only way to run a business. I mean, it's talked about in MBA programs. You know, being a data-driven run business is probably kind of a cliche business term, but it, but, you know, how, how, how are you to like guide and set trends or, or even know what to do if you're not listening to what customers are saying and, and what this community that, that I talk about on Reddit and that we try to reach through our brands like George Ashington, what they're saying, what they value. Um, so it's everything, the way that we get, you know, our store information, our, our Google reviews, our bud tenders, who we call cannabis specialists, who have that direct one-on-one -on -one interaction with customers um, and, and who have, you know, their own tactics and their own products they want to push that we talk about as a team, but, but getting feedback and asking those customers questions when they come in to rebuy, I mean, targeting our customers and our loyalty program that we see buying a certain product set, you know, giving them money off to get their feedback, um, you know, is something that we do in, in a sniper like fashion. So. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's that the leg up, right. Cause everyone talks about, you know, the bud tenders, the last line of defense, you know, for, for a brand, but being able to get that insight from that level, most, you know, brands in some States that whether you're not, or if you're not vertically integrated, you're not in States that don't allow that there's that disconnect. The most you can do is a, a vendor day, right. And, and try and interact with consumers. And it's imperative to understand, you know, like, we used to sell t-shirts and if you looked at sometimes just the data on, man, we didn't sell many of these units, that's a bust. But then when you actually get out in the field and get out in stores and you hear 30 or 40 different people be like, I love this design, but if it was this cut or this color, and right. it's not like, oh, that was a complete miss. We just didn't get it. We didn't package it the right way, right? Or present it yeah. the right way. And you and that and that's a lapse that you wouldn't get on a spreadsheet that you would get like, oh, 40 people said that, then yeah, it's not it's yeah. not just one person's opinion. And um, you know, with what you were mentioning Reddit, obviously you guys, you know, have, have been buzzing and we were talking about a little bit beforehand the, the George Hashington brands really, really buzzing on Reddit uh and, and building that, you know, that name. Obviously, hash rosin has exploded, you know, over the mm -hmm. last year so i think colorado's done a great job at extracts and obviously is, is a solvent extract you know solventless extraction uh for hash but you know colorado's really been the leader in that from my opinion in terms of the equipment you know the equipment manufacturers and companies a lot of them are based in colorado again you guys were, were first to the market with this when when did you feel like hash first started taking off in colorado like i guess when did it start picking up steam and then when would you say it started taking off because i know those are two it's been around for a while but it started to bump up and i personally i feel like it's really started to kind of ramp up this last you know 2022 at least from my perspective yeah, no, great. I, I love, I mean, the rosin game and creating rosin and consuming rosin is, 
all of it's a world that I love living in, but rosin is how I consume daily. Um, you know, it, it and you know, extracts in general for the last seven years, even butane and lab process extract, live resin, I've loved, I've gone through all my different phases, wax shatter, live resin, rosin, I still love to dab lab extracted live resin from our flower, especially. Um, you know, I all props to 710 Labs, who's big in California now, you know, but they started in Colorado. And 710 has always been probably the king of of, of rosin, um, which has really helped them in their flower game. But they started with rosin. And I want to I want to circle back to how rosin and flower coincide and how they can help each other. But I, I think it you know the, the, 710 has been here from the beginning, you know, green dot. I think also in, in Laser Cat, those three brands, Green Dot's been big with, on the rosin scene for the last two or three years. But in the last two years in Colorado, there have been a number of rosin brands, you know, really take off. So Cabano is a well-respected rosin brand. A single source here in Colorado is, is crushing it. Oleo has been around in the lab processing, processing hash game for a long time. Their rosin is respected. Dab Logic who's been around for a while, but the last two years, I, I, I think some of it has to do with the market downturn and a lot of really quality material sitting on the market. And people, you know, instead of like not wanting to sell seven, $800 pounds with that really great raw material. And so what else do you do with that really great raw material to maybe maximize? I think th there's, there's a love of rosin and hash for sure that's driven, um, the, the desire to consume. But I, I also think there's business and financial aspects that have kind mm -hmm. of exploded in the rosin world. And a lot of it has to do with the decreasing price of raw material on the wholesale side. I think that has definitely that. And that's my own gut feeling and my own intuition for just dis disclaimer purposes for why I think the hash game is, has exploded. I mean, it, it, it still is, even though there's been price compression in that category, it still is the most expensive products that you're going to find on shelves. And I think if you, when, when you see the, the price of raw material and wholesale prices increase, you know, you might see a few of these players who are doing runs and who've tried to start a brand, you might see them filter out when they can make more money off that raw material by not processing it and lengthening the process of when they're selling it and making money on it. Um, but, you know, for us, like, being a smaller player and maybe not one of the originals out of the gate or even medical in, in, in the, in the aughts, the 06, 08, you know, and, and then the medical game here in Colorado boomed and then recreational happened and we weren't a part of that. And so to maybe get respect for our flower, I always really loved the, the rosin and the solventless play just to show the world how good our flower is. And even though we've separated it into a different brand, over time, you know, people will find out what how George Hashington has powered the the trap cookies, the banana punch, this incredible, you know, lemon frazzle drip that we have here that I think can compete with any of the lemons from the big boys on the market. You know, they'll know who produced the flour and the raw that went into that, which can bring hype to your flour brand as well. I mean, Green Dot and 710, I think, have really played that card you know, extremely well, creating great hash and then parlaying that into great flower sales and showing off their flower.
Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a dabber. I always tell, you know, I always, I'm a big flower guy, but I'm a baby dabber in the, in the comfort of my own home. When I'm by myself, I'll take a little baby dab. That's about the only time, but right. rosin was really got me into concentrates in any regard, just because, you know, I, again, I, I love flower. I love the flavor, the aroma of flower. And when you smell some, you know, some good rosin, it just, it, is nothing you know it smells like just some some of the aromas that you get from the flower just like a pure version of that and i yeah. like you'll show me some rosin uh, sometime and i'll be like all right i'm not gonna do it now but i've got to i have got to taste this stuff man yeah. um and so for you like in, in those two working together like obviously like to have a quality rosin you have to have a quality input but how much do you feel like on that that tandem of those two working together is kind of showcasing the quality and or you know, the, the, again, the aroma and the flavor, if you have good flavored hash, then it's probably good flavored cannabis. What's, what's kind of your take on how those two build off one another? I, I ever, I mean, you know, growing quality cannabis is everything to making good hash. It's everything to yielding. Well, I mean, it, it, it's everything with regards to making money and it, in this business to have good yields, but they do really do go hand in hand. You know, I love seeing flour. It's how I consumed for, you know, out of the 25 years that I've been consuming, it's probably how I consumed, you know, solely for 19, you know, 18, 19 of those years. Um, and I didn't know near as much about flowers I know now. Um, and so it, it, but I think what rosin and hash did for me is it allowed me, like you talk about the true essence of the plant. You can get that. Obviously, the flower represents that in its very initial form. But depending on how you consume that flower, you might not quite get mm. the same essence, the smell is strong of a smell or even the terp, given how you consume it. If you burn it, you know, the combustion of the fire, while it's great and it, it, it I like smoke, sometimes inhaling that smoke, you can still get that terp for sure and great flower. But, but the combustion of it does change a little bit of the experience whereas dabbing you know in a in a rig like this with you know some incredible let's see here this banana punch i want to show it you know something like that mm. i don't know how well you can see it oh yeah yeah right there i mean yeah. this does give this banana the, the banana punch i mean it smells like banana laffy taffy and i the flower smells the same way but i do feel like when i burn the flower i get that a, a sweet and a gas. But when I dab this, I mean, it comes through I, exponentially um, mm -hmm. with regards to how I experience. I realize the high is definitely, it's an extract, so it's stronger. Um, but, you know, that for heavy consumers like myself, I think you do build a little bit of a tolerance, even a strain tolerance for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, but man, it's the ritual, you know, that I've set myself in that I just love for sure. Yeah, I, my one of my last podcasts. I was one of the they're, they're scientists, and they were talking about the differences of smoking and why even you know because I was like, it's yeah, I'm a I you know I used to sit down and smoke a quarter a half ounce of flour and still you know be functional right fine but you give me one just medium sized dab and I'm gonna go in the corner and be awkward. Um, and they were talking about the science behind how you're, you know, I don't know the, your body, I don't, some stuff I don't quite understand, but we, 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 different consumption methods are 
the THC is delivered into your system differently. So you build tolerance, like you're saying, you can build a tolerance to a specific strain, but you can also build a tolerance to a specific consumption method, which is absolutely super unique. Um, uh, you know, before before I get you up out of here, I'm curious, what what else does High West, George Hashington, Outlaw Cannabis, what do you guys have planned for the rest of 2022 and, and, and kind of beyond that, that you wish to, to share with the audience? Yeah, so, you know, and I'll, I'll share it with a disclaimer that, you know, these are forward-looking statements. I'll sound like maybe an SEC document. <laughs> um, you, you know, we are looking to expand really in all fronts. Um, and I know I, I don't want to seem uh, naive in saying something maybe as far out there as that because it's hard to expand on all fronts. But, you know, we are looking to expand in the retail realm. And, and you know, a question to kind of dovetail into a question you asked me earlier, it is that the trickiness in being vertically integrated is how do you do all the things that you want to do and not step on even your own customer's toes, which I think when you think about expanding in the retail realm and being a wholesaler, that is something that you have to take into consideration. And so geographically desired locations in this market, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in, in stores that are currently for sale. And that's a unique um, circumstance that I don't think will be here forever. And so we have some ability to choose and, and to look at geographical areas and how we expand retail. We're also, and this is probably two to three years out, maybe not quite that far out, looking to consolidate our cultivation facilities potentially in another location than where they currently exist. And which is interesting coming off of a, probably a, an expansion where we spend a million five on, which was a big project for us to, to expand and, and upgrade our cultivation facility. And given the price of where flour is right now, a lot of people would think that might be crazy, but to really set yourself in long-term, you know, you have to look at all of the assets that you operate, you know, the, the relationships that allow you to operate. And I think constantly be evaluating, is there a better way to do things that costs and takes resources? If you believe in the space, if you're convicted that, that this is what you want to do and you love it, you know, you, the market swings are what they are. You know, you continue to try to get resources and you continue to try to make the best business moves. And I think consolidating and, and expanding on what we've learned in our cultivation and maybe even moving it into a larger facility that might not be right smack dab in the city as we get more distributed is something that we're heavily considering as well. Moves moves on the way on all, on all fronts, man. Brian, I, I appreciate you you hopping on here, sharing some of your journey, breaking down what you're seeing in the Colorado market. For people out there, want more information? High West is it HighWest.co or HighWestCannabis.co? It's it's HighWest.co. .co. .co. And then I, I believe on Instagram at HighWest.co at outlawcannabis.co and then at George underscore Hashington, right? I didn't even, I don't, I'm not even that is at perfect. Those. I, you nailed it. You nailed it. Look bitch. at that. Look at that. I'm impressing myself, man. I didn't smoke weed today. That's why I remembered all that off the rip. So <laughs> I'm getting ready to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got a couple more of these to do today. Otherwise I'd, I'd be burning already, but uh, you know, I got, I got to keep my head, head somewhat together. Bitch, man, I want to so. say, I love what you guys are doing at respect my region. I, I, I followed Joey before I followed you. I've followed you for a while now. I've seen some of your interviews. Love, you know, shout 
Donna Cozy out in Sacramento. I think she was one of the first or that I saw recently. Mm-hmm. And I, you guys, you know, combining this love of music and cannabis, but also featuring the cannabis brands in the different states and given your style and your knowledge, you know, I, 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 I super wanted to be a part of this and I super appreciate you having me on and letting us share our story and let me talk. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, honored, honored to have you on here, man. Really appreciate it. There's a lot of good, good insights and good game on here. I'm looking forward to come checking y'all out in person next, next time I make it to Colorado. Uh, yeah, man. Thank you. Can't wait. All right. Thank you. Awesome. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. I think we have two more episodes today. I think 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. So if you guys want to tune in live, check out then. But then, you know, if you're listening to this later on Spotify or Apple, we're updating new po- uh, new episodes every single week. And we got a couple other shows. Stay tuned at respectmoreregion.com. Follow us on social media platforms. We'll be back with more later.